0: Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcasts. Knowledge at Wharton is the online research and business analysis journal of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Support for Knowledge at Wharton podcasts comes from Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their long-term financial goals at Vanguard.com. On May 25th, a federal jury convicted former Enron CEO Kenneth Lay and former Enron President Jeffrey Skilling on conspiracy and fraud charges, with sentencing to be decided on September 11th. As has been repeatedly noted in press coverage of this trial, Enron is the incredible story of a once highly regarded company done in by a group of top executives whose greed and fraud was breathtaking even by post-dot-com standards. But it is by no means the only high-profile criminal trial in recent days, nor is it likely to be the last case brought by the government against CEOs who abuse their positions, their stockholders, their employees, and the public trust. Knowledge at Wharton's McCool Pandya, and myself, Robbie Shell, have asked Thomas Dunphy, chairman of Wharton's Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department, and an expert on social contracts and the social responsibility of business to give us his thoughts about the Enron verdict. Tom, thanks for being with us. First off, do you think the jury reached the right verdict?
1: Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, I read that a number of the jurors indicated that they were sympathetic to uh, Lay and Skilling at the beginning of the trial and after the two testified where they came across as very controlling perhaps even uh, arrogant uh, that some of those originally sympathetic jurors uh, changed their their minds in the in the wake of this verdict uh,
2: people might be inclined to say see the system works they got convicted but it did take four and a half years for the verdict to take to come down uh, so in your view
1: did the system work uh, yes, I think that it did. As a matter of fact, you can uh, turn it around and say, "What would have been the reaction had the jury acquitted uh, Lay and, and Skilling?" Because after all, this was the the poster child case. This is the the basically the name for the uh, series of scandals that had occurred. And had the government lost this case, it would have been, I think, very damaging to uh, the attitudes about what had had happened across uh, corporate uh, uh, America. I think it would have been damaging to uh, future prosecutions. So it's natural that they would take a lot of time to carefully prepare what was a rather complex case.
0: So to get back to my first question, you do think that was the correct verdict then?
1: Uh, we we have a jury uh, system. Even uh, uh, Skilling said right after the uh, the, the the verdict uh, that that's the way the system works. They were entitled to make that finding. The jurors are the people that sat through every bit of evidence in the trial. Uh, they were unanimous. They were relatively quick when you consider how complex the case was and how. How long it had taken to uh, try, so uh, the, one could have imagined the jury being out for for several weeks. So, uh, yes, in our in our system, where we have the jurors be the finders of fact, I think indeed uh, the the system seems to have worked.
0: Do you expect to see a lot more trials and a lot more convictions uh, now that the government has won such a high-profile case? And are there any candidates out there? <laughs>
1: Well, I, I think the uh, value that comes from the the decision is that the government really doesn't have to bring as many cases now, because of the, if you think of the number of convictions, and now it's estimated that Lay and Skilling are likely to be sentenced to between a dozen and two dozen years in in jail. Uh, and I've also, I've seen that many experts think that the chances of a successful appeal aren't very likely. So I think I think that has value in and of itself, and it's not necessary to bring uh, a uh, a lot more cases. Furthermore, because of the Sarbanes-Oxley uh, reforms uh, that occurred in 2002, we've had a number of companies make changes in their accounting control systems. In fact, it's kind of remarkable the number of companies that had to do that. If you remember that in a number of the other cases, the defense that was raised by the uh, the CEO, uh, Kozlowski uh, uh, being a, a prime example of Bernie uh, Evers was, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, so these people were... Uh, uh, committing uh, fraud, then I didn't know it. Well, now uh, there have to be systems in place which the CEO is certified to that are much more likely to catch it. In other words,
2: you think there's going to be more transparency now uh, that will prov- uh, that that will make it possible for CEOs who are engaged in some sort of wrongdoing to be identified
1: before the problem gets. Uh, uh, very serious. Is that is that an accurate reading? Well, it's, it, it's interesting as to what <clears throat> was happening right up to the time of the verdicts, and you were having a counter-attack on the reforms. So you were having businesses complain about the expense of filling out the reports, some cases very liberally estimating the number of person hours it was taking to fill out the, the reports, but you had this counter-attack on the reforms. Mm-hmm. My guess is that the uh, verdicts in the Enron case will slow down that, that counterattack and will uh, uh, allow us to continue to have increased transparency in terms of corporate behavior. It might slow down the
2: counterattacks, but do you think it will also serve as a deterrent uh, for other CEOs uh, and scare them off uh, doing the kind of things that uh, skilling
1: and uh, Lee it? Uh, the, the critics of Sarbanes oxley say, well, it not only scares them off from things like that, but it makes them too risk adverse. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that's the uh, that that is true. Uh, yes, you would you would think with the number of convictions that have been obtained, and the number of people that have gone to jail, that. Uh, this would cause uh, both the people at the very top, but others in the organization, to be more cautious. In uh, many of the uh, cases, uh, Enron is an example of this. There were people who faced decisions uh, where they decided not to uh, act in a in a certain way, uh, uh, not to blow the whistle, or to uh, go go ahead and uh, the, as Uh, take a certain action, Uh, you may recall that the board in Enron was twice asked to waive their code of ethics, which uh, restricted the kind of deals that Fastow was entering into. I I would hope that one lesson that would come out of this is if you're a board member and you're being asked to waive the code of ethics of the corporation in the context of some rather uh, obscure financial deal that you think twice before you uh, vote affirmatively on that.
0: You mentioned uh, Bernie Evers and Dennis Kozlowski's strategy, which was one of saying, oh, fraud, I didn't know that was occurring. What do you think of of Lay and Skilling's strategy, which was to claim the company actually did no wrong, except for people like Andy Fastow, um, but really was done in by negative press coverage and short sellers and a market panic?
1: Uh, Interesting. I saw the editorial on Friday in the Wall Street Journal. You might expect the Wall Street Journal to be sympathetic to the... uh, uh, lay in skilling, but because part of their defense was that the Wall Street Journal had engaged in irresponsible journalism, and that had caused the House of Cards to start to fall, the Wall Street Journal was definitely not sympathetic to uh, their, their case. I found that uh, a defense to be quite bizarre, and <clears throat> I think that uh, my colleagues in finance who believe in efficient markets would find that to be bizarre. Uh, I think many people intuitively would find this to be bizarre, that if you have a company of the size that Enron had, that a few stories in the Wall Street Journal could uh, trigger a, a few short sellers, and this would cause a collapse of a company of that size if it had the real assets that they were claiming that it had. It just seems absolutely counterintuitive and bizarre.
2: I, that, that's very, very interesting. You, uh, I wonder if I could ask you about something you said earlier. You, you said that the experts think that an appeal won't work.
1: Uh, why, why not? Well, uh, there are various issues that may be raised on the appeal. Uh, the <clears throat> judge uh, required them to be tried together. Uh, he didn't allow the case to be moved from uh, Houston. Uh, there were a, a series of decisions that he, the standard that he uh, uh, imposed in regard of, of their knowledge may be uh, uh, a question, but uh, uh, unlike uh, some of the other cases, like the well-known Martha Stewart uh, case, or even the Arthur Anderson case, which uh, both were uh, uh, basically changed on uh, on appeal. Uh, it seems to be pretty clear law in uh, this area and the judge seems to have followed that fairly clear law uh, it would be coming up in a circuit that uh, tends a circuit court of appeals that tends to be relatively uh, conservative and pro-government on these kinds of uh, uh, issues you never know for sure but it, it seems like it's a long shot. I think, by and large, any appeal of this sort is is a long shot to start with. Here, it seems to be even more of a long shot.
0: Do you expect to see a wave of class action suits by shareholders to get their money back? I mean, now that Lay and Skilling have been convicted in a criminal case, aren't they fair game for the easier civil cases?
1: Well, the the problem with there being a bunch of civil cases is to find a deep pockets defendant who can actually pay the damages that you would uh, obtain. Uh, Neither the uh, uh, remnants of the company nor uh, uh, Skilling and Lay personally have assets to make this worthwhile for somebody to pursue the way that They try to uh, find someone with deep pockets as to bring in the investment banks or those kinds of uh, uh, actions. Uh, Those are, of course, a little harder to bring because they're farther removed uh, from these. So I I, I doubt if these verdicts in and of themselves would uh, result in uh, uh, additional class actions. Uh, It's interesting that... uh, uh, Lay was also convicted of defrauding the bank when he uh, took a loan and signed documents that, uh, uh, in which he promised that he would not use the money to buy uh, Enron stock, and then uh, did so. Uh, again, there was at least a piece of his defense. There was relatively bizarre. He said he had a signature, uh, an electronic signature, and somebody was putting his signature on these documents. Uh, you know, and if you're the judge deciding that case, and here's somebody that comes across as very controlling and on top of everything, and that you know, he's, he's already testified in the other trial. I did everything I could, you know, using all my skills to do it. But here, he's not even in control of his own electronic signature. You, you've got to be skeptical. <laughs> so, o- overall,
2: what do you think are the um, main ethical lessons to be learned from
1: the whole Enron affair? Uh, Transparency is uh, the the critical principle for uh, corporations in their financial reporting. I think one can say that Enron purposefully made uh, their reports obscure so that one had to do an enormous amount of digging to find out what was going on, and analysts who did that were... uh, uh, given a hard, a hard time uh, by the the senior executives of uh, of, of Enron. So, uh, for financial markets to work the way they showed, it's essential that uh, financial reporting not only be accurate, but that it be transparent. Uh, internally within the organization, uh, you you have a somewhat different uh, set of of issues because here you had uh, Enron uh, that had in some ways the perfect code of ethics which I understand you can buy on eBay and they still sealed in its plastic container where it's never been removed uh, and uh, they had a, a wonderful board that had some very prominent uh, uh, people uh, on, that, uh, on that board and there, there have been articles written where were the gatekeepers where were the uh, internal uh, auditors, where were the uh, uh, where was the board, where was the outside law firm, that they all failed to speak up at the point at which they should. And then if you see something that you think is seriously wrong, you should do more than just uh, uh, sort of cross your fingers and, and sign on to it. So a code is... Not enough, obviously, by itself. You have to have a uh, real commitment to the values that too easily can be put up on the wall, but can be very unreal.
0: One final question. Um, and this is one that I, I know has been asked many times, many places. Are there steps that business schools can take to help prevent Enrons of the future? In addition to what Wharton is doing, which I, I I know because I've talked to you about this, is very extensive.
1: Uh, <clears throat> one of the ironic values of the Enron uh, case is that it probably will be written up uh, into some teachable uh, cases, and. I, business students uh, can take a look at what happened there and can project themselves into the various, various roles. We already teach the WorldCom case. Mm-hmm. The WorldCom case is wonderful in one sense, and that is the internal auditor, under all sorts of pressures from Bernie Evers, stood her ground, uh, even uh, to the extent of working it out so that uh, one of her assistants could go in at night and get relevant data to find out what was really going on once she became suspicious. And she held in there against all sorts of pressure. And hopefully, when students look at that, and we always want to project ourselves as doing the right thing, and even sometimes being a hero, a student might say, well, that's the way I want to be. And in the future, when they are in that kind of a context, uh, they might uh, stop and think about, Uh, what is going on. Uh, You can't um, uh, have a perfect outcome in terms of ethics classes. Uh, There are some people that are predisposed to uh, uh, taking advantage and maximizing for themselves and are just total uh, egoists and Uh, you're not going to convert uh, somebody like that. But I think we do have a real impact. I'm positive that we have a real impact. And basically, we shift the curve. So there's that vast majority of people that are somewhere between the angels and the devils. And they are the people that, in the long run, make quite a difference. And I think we can make them more aware and have them change some of their attitudes about their role in business.
0: Great. Thanks, Tom.
1: Uh, Well, hopefully in addition to case
2: studies, uh, there'll also be podcasts about Enron that will help play the same role. So thank you very much for talking with us today. Thank you.